This podcast contains adult themes and is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy this content, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tales Driftwood. Tales of Driftwood, where a story is everything. As always, I am your host, Eric. First of all, I would like to apologize for the time between uploads. We had to move our studio space, and it ended up being much more involved and complicated than originally anticipated. But with that being said, I'll be uploading all three parts of the next chapter over the next few days, as chapter 20 is the largest chapter to date. When we were last with each other, Julian had managed to unite the resistance teams of Archer and Adrian, and the team had split into two groups, Julian and Dorian going north of Hyde to try to recruit Trevor Mabin, and Liam, Wade, and Adrian looking to rescue Clyde. So with all that being said, I give you Hyde Chapter 20, Two Sides to Every Story, Part 1. can't believe that fountain is the only way to get in and out of Hyde right now. Dorian grumbled as he and Julian walked cautiously through the graveyard, soaking wet. Julian shrugged as he looked at the midday sun. He had other things on his mind other than the current state of his clothes. It bothered him that after reaching Hyde for the first time in years, he was sent on an errand to try to recruit a soldier who used to work for Vega. He was probably a madman by now, living in the woods all these years. That was if he wasn't a madman to begin with. He frowned as he puzzled over his situation. If he was supposed to become the new mayor, why was he being sent on odd jobs like this? He should be in the thick of things, rescuing Clyde and Max, and scouting out Benedict's fortifications. He stopped himself and laughed out loud as a realization hit him. Just days ago, he wanted nothing to do with being the mayor of Hyde. In fact, he was going to leave that responsibility to Archer, who he was now grumbling about taking orders from. What's so funny? Dorian demanded, eyeing Julian suspiciously. Julian looked at him and grinned. Nothing really. There's just some times that your own stupidity can amuse you, you know? Dorian shrugged and looked around the graveyard. Not really, but whatever. You know something? This graveyard ain't so bad in the sunlight. 
I mean, I know everything looks less ominous in the sunlight, but this place was awful last night. Not just the look of it, but the feel of it too, you know? Julian nodded and glanced around too. They had already passed the place where they had seen the man killed the previous night, his blood still present in the grass as they walked past it. I know, it was like it was hard to breathe. He looked back at Dorian for a response, but Dorian's eyes were glued to something in front of him, baffled by Dorian's complete absorption. Julian quickly moved over to his side to see what he was looking at, and immediately regretted his decision. There seemed to be some kind of mass grave in the center of the graveyard, except that it appeared as though there were no plans for burial at any point. In fact, as Julian looked at it, it reminded him more of a place where people threw their garbage as opposed to being an actual grave. He and Dorian cautiously approached and looked in. The smell was overwhelming as they took in the horrific sight of mutilated body parts, and Dorian quickly ran several feet backwards, losing the measly breakfast they had eaten this morning. The only reason Julian didn't lose his was because of his pure shock. It wasn't as though these bodies had simply been thrown into the hole. They had been chopped up into pieces with no order at all. He saw arms that had been hacked off at the shoulder and arms that had been chopped off at the elbow. He looked down at the carnage and wondered how many of these people had really died of natural causes, and how many had died because they stood in any of his three enemies' way. Dorian returned to his side, ruefully wiping his mouth with the sleeve of his coat. First I get soaking wet, then I lose my breakfast. This is not shaping up to be a good day. Julian didn't respond. There was something else about the random body parts and how they were left that truly disturbed him. He couldn't quite make it out as he tried to ignore the thousands of flies buzzing lazily below him, getting fat off of the dead of hide. Dorian leaned over and made the connection for him as his eyes became wide with fear. Oh my god, Julian. There's bite marks on some of those bodies. Julian peered closer and realized that Dorian was right. There were indeed human bite marks on some of the body parts. He now understood the disjointed way that the body parts had been removed. It was as though someone was simply cutting them up to give the scraps to someone or something, like he would with a chicken carcass to a dog. The analogy didn't sit well with him at all, Dorian was hurriedly and Dorian was hurriedly tugging on his arm. Let's get out of here, yeah? There's nothing we can do for these people, but there's still some people in that town we can help. Julian nodded grimly as they quickly skirted the edge of the grave and continued on in silence for several moments towards the woods to the north of Hyde. Dorian nervously looked behind them as they walked. You don't think anyone saw us leave, do you? Julian shook his head. Probably not. You heard what Archer said. Very rarely does Benedict put guards on the north wall of Hyde because it's Santana's territory. Plus, his guards have no doubt seen what Santana does to the bodies so I assume there aren't a whole lot of them volunteering for the job. Dorian nodded uncertainly. I guess. It's not really Benedict's guys I'm worried about, though. It's Santana's. Julian shook his head. I don't think you have to worry about that. They don't really strike me as day people, you know? I think if they had to look at each other in the light of day while they do what they do to people, they wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Dorian laughed coldly. If you can even call them people anymore... Normal folk wouldn't do that for all the money in the world. It takes a special kind of crazy to take a bite out of your neighbor. Julian sighed tiredly. <sighs> Let's just hope the others are faring better than we are. We haven't even reached our target yet and I already feel exhausted. <laughs>
Wade, Adrian, and Liam made their way through the streets of Hyde with Adrian in the lead. The attempts of Adrian's people to wash the newcomer's clothes had not been particularly successful, but it actually helped Wade and Liam to blend in with the people of Hyde, who all looked filthy anyway. Liam had grudgingly ditched his now-ruined cowboy hat back at Archer's, and Julian had given Adrian his gun, as there weren't many saw-off firearms in the resistance, and he figured he wouldn't be shooting at the man in the woods anyway. Adrian was moving so fast through the side streets that Wade had to catch him on several occasions to tell him to slow down, with Liam huffing and puffing long behind them. At some point, Adrian began to slow without being told to, until he was at a complete stop at the corner of a building. Liam caught up to the two more athletic boys, gasping for air. <sighs> Christ Jesus, boys. I'm not in the shape I was in five years ago. Wade snickered and looked at him. How old are you now? Liam froze and looked at him angrily. <sighs> 27, but that's not the bloody point. Adrian held up his hand and the others stopped talking. He crouched and carefully made his way over to where several crates were stacked before hunkering down. The other two followed suit and when they were kneeling next to him, Adrian motioned with his thumb over the boxes. Something's going on. The other two cautiously looked over the crates and realized that they were looking into one of the several town squares in Hyde. Wade's blood chilled as he recognized the dark cloaks of Santana's people being worn by six shadowy figures as they walked slowly towards a building being guarded by ten of Benedict's guards. The guards were eyeing the procession warily, clearly as disturbed by their presence as Wade himself was. Adrian scooted up next to them and pointed. That right there is my father's place. That's why it's so heavily guarded. It's also the place we'll be breaking into momentarily. Liam groaned lowly. Of course it is. Makes all the sense in the world. Adrian chuckled and then pointed at the slowly moving cloak procession. I've seen this happen before. It looks like six normal guys in cloaks, right? But keep watching. As the procession reached the front of the building, they all stopped as one. The guards were not pointing their guns at the strange group, but they certainly all had their hands on their weapons. The group suddenly fanned out in a V formation. Out of nowhere, Santana and his two bodyguards walked up behind the V formation and then through it. The hulking figure first, then the small one, then Santana. They stood there in silence, Santana gleaming a wicked smile at the guards until the door of Benedict's fortress flew open and a large bald black man came stalking out. Adrian nodded towards the man. Marcus Sykes, my father's right hand man. Wade nodded understanding. We've heard stories, none of them good. He turned his attention back to the peculiar meeting in the square. Sykes and Santana were talking back and forth until Sykes appeared to get frustrated and motioned them inside the building. Santana complied, waving his two guards forward first before entering himself. Wade slid back against the crate he had been looking over and looked at both of his companions. I think it would be in our best interest to find out what that little meeting is about, don't you boys? Liam nodded. Aye. If we're going to be separating and conquering these fellas, we should be seeing what they're getting all friendly about. Adrian motioned them back the way they came, and then down an alleyway closer to the fortress. Wade and Liam looked up and realized they were both leaning against the building directly next to Benedict's, when Adrian somehow got the side door of the place open and motioned them inside. They exchanged a look, and then followed Adrian. Julian and Dorian reached the outskirts of the woods with no trouble from anyone. 
No sign of Santana's men throughout the graveyard, and no signs of bandits anywhere near the woods. Clearly this fact was bothering Dorian, as he slapped Julian's arm to get his attention. Hey, don't you think it's a little strange that we haven't laid eyes on a single soul yet? I mean, with all the groups you got running around here with murder in their blood, not one person has come across us yet. Julian smiled as they made their way into the woods. We're in the wild. Things work differently in the wild than in the towns. Dorian wrinkled his forehead. What do you mean? Julian stopped and considered him. Alright, I'll explain it to you this way. What kind of animals do you see running around Belleville? Dorian silently considered this. Dogs, cats, some chickens that the crazy lady raises, the guy on the outskirts has some pigs and a cow. Julian waved his hand at him and smiled again. Alright, alright. Are there any wolves? Dorian gave him a quizzical look. Wolves? Uh, maybe in the woods. Julian nodded, but not in the town. Dorian sighed, quickly becoming frustrated. <sighs> you might as well tell me what your point is. I don't have the patience for runarounds like this. Julian chuckled playfully. <laughs> alright, alright. Normal towns have normal animals. They don't have predators that the humans can't handle. Every once in a while a dog goes crazy and has to get put down, but that's the closest to a scare that any animal in town gives the humans. He pointed back towards side. Right now, you've got three big predators in town, and all their crazy dogs terrorizing the people, who can't fight back. Let's say Vega's a wolf, uh, Benedict's a bear, and Santana is, I don't know, some crazy snake-lizard combination. Dorian's face cleared a little, but he was still obviously not getting Julian's message. And? Julian leaned against the tree. As in the wild, those three have their territories. Santana has the graveyard, Vega has the hospital, Benedict has the run of the city. Dorian shrugged. Alright, so what does that have to do with the fact that we've seen no one since we left the town? Julian smiled knowingly at him and began to trudge further into the woods. Because we're out of their territory now, and we're in another predator's territory. One they don't want to mess with. Dorian whistled as it all came together for him. That's pretty good. So what does that make this guy, then? Julian smiled. A lion. Dorian gulped and gripped the gun that he had brought with him to hide at his side. He wasn't a very good shot, as he had always relied on his hands and feet to take care of his opponents. But the gun made him feel safer in this instance. He caught up to Julian and walked beside him. So you gave your gun to Adrian. Does that mean you're here unarmed? Julian shook his head and snapped his wrist back quickly. The blade shot up his arm and glinted momentarily in the sunlight before he snapped his wrist back again, returning the blade to its place. Dorian whistled with appreciation and then frowned. That's nice, but do you think you'll get close enough to use it? Julian looked at him seriously. We're not coming here for a fight, remember? We're coming here to negotiate something that's going to work for both us and him. I don't see why he would want to kill us if we're just talking. Dorian shrugged. Everyone else in this place is crazy. Why not him? Julian grinned until a gleam of white further up through the woods caught his eye. He had actually seen it earlier, when they had walked across the open space between the woods and the graveyard, but he had not thought much of it until now. He wondered for a moment if it could be Mabin's hideout, but then remembered that Archer told him that the hideout would be very difficult to find, as Mabin wanted to stay hidden. 
With that, he dismissed the possibility of Maven camouflaging his home as a bright gleam of white in the woods. Still, the white object in the distance somehow seemed significant to him. He didn't know how, but at some point he would have to investigate further. He glanced over at Dorian and saw that his eyes were focused on something up ahead. What is it? he asked. I don't know. There's something carved into that tree up there, Dorian responded. Julian looked forward and saw that there was indeed something carved into one of the trees up ahead. They hurried their pace until they arrived at the tree and stopped. There was a symbol carved horizontally into the bark of the tree that Julian recognized instantly, but Dorian clearly didn't. He looked at Julian with a lost expression. It's the infinity symbol, Julian explained. It's used in math sometimes to show that something has no limit. Dorian scratched his chin thoughtfully. Oh, alright. So what is it doing carved into a tree in the middle of the woods? Julian shrugged. I don't know. Let's keep our eyes open though. Usually when there's something carved into a tree like that, it's either a warning or a greeting. They continued further into the woods and began to come across more and more trees with the symbol carved into them. For a while, the trees were showing up right in front of them, so they simply acknowledged them. But then the symbols began to fear off to the right. They stopped momentarily and looked at each other. What do you think? asked Dorian. Should we follow the marked ones? Julian nodded. I think so. It's too much of a coincidence to have trees with markings carved into them in the middle of the woods. Even if this has something to do with Maven, it may be some kind of warning against bandits or something else. Either way, I want to know what it is. Both agreed. They began to purposely follow the trail of the carved trees. Julian noted with satisfaction that Dorian moved silently through the woods, much like himself. Julian had learned how to walk softly through the woods as a child, because he enjoyed looking at all the wildlife as he ran around, and with heavy feet, they would all just flee. After several minutes of following the trail, they broke into a clearing in the woods. Julian noticed immediately that the clearing was not natural, but man-made, as there were clear stumps where trees used to stand sitting here and there in the clearing. Dorian notched Julian's shoulder with his own. Check it out. He pointed to something laying on the ground. Julian moved to it quickly and picked up one of Benedict's guard's vests. What do you make of it? asked Dorian, looking around nervously. Julian's eyes traveled across the clearing and began to pick up other things laying on the ground. He moved stealthily to the middle of the clearing and pointed at the various objects. I think it's kind of obvious now. Dorian followed him and began to pick up various articles of clothing off of the forest floor. More bulletproof vests, some hats, pants, a jacket or two. Dorian dropped them back on the floor. Benedict's guards. Julian nodded his agreement. Most of them, but there's other uniforms mixed in here. Gray ones. There's also some other clothes over here that look like it might have been bandit-related. Dorian whistled lowly. So I guess we found Maven's hunting round, and he's an equal opportunity killer. That's excellent to know. Julian rolled his eyes with impatience. He's not an equal opportunity killer. All of those guys are on the same side. If anything, we should see this as a positive. We share the same enemy. Dorian shrugged. Whatever you say, boss. I just think it's kind of creepy that there's no bodies or weapons here. Just clothes. And his words were interrupted suddenly as he was struck with something from behind and went sprawling to the ground. Julian's entire body tensed as his eyes searched for an assailant. Nothing. 
His ears picked up something behind him and he dove to the side instinctively. He did it just in time as a blunt staff went flying past him and hit the ground yards from where Dorian still lay motionless. From his position on the ground, Julian turned to where the staff came from. A figure dropped down from the trees and rushed towards him quickly. Julian made it to his feet just as the figure reached him. The figure's clothing seemed to be swirling all around it as he approached Julian, and now he found himself enveloped in either a coat or a cloak of some kind. He whirled around, disoriented, until a blow to the chest knocked him to the ground. He looked up and saw the figure whip the cloak to the side, revealing a face covered by a mask. The rest of the man's outfit was some form of armor, Julian noted. It looked as though he had taken the outfits of all the guards he had dispatched in the forest and repurposed the armor as his own. The resulting outfit looked quite effective. There were even some places where he had clearly been shot, but he looked in perfect health. Mabin. Julian managed to croak before the man descended on him again, striking him downwards with both his fists and feet. Julian managed to roll out of the way before any damage was done, and made it to his feet. His opponent was unrelenting, striking at him over and over again. Julian parried strikes left and right until he saw an opening of his own and kicked upwards violently. The kick connected with the masked man's face and he slumped to the ground. He looked beaten only momentarily, however, but when he rose to his feet, he made a small sound that Julian thought might be laughter. Just like that, the battle continued. After several more moments of fighting, Julian realized that they were near equal in combat, as he had landed several hits, and the masked one had as well. The masked man was clearly getting frustrated, however, and that was making him sloppy. Without warning, someone let out a scream and hit the masked man from behind. He went rolling to the side and looked up as Dorian moved toward him, fuming. Attack people from behind, huh? That's what big hunters do, right? No one gets the drop on me, pal. No one. He bared his teeth and rushed the man. The man crouched until Dorian had closed the distance between them, and then sprang up in the air and unleashed a kick so quickly Julian barely had time to see it. It connected directly with Dorian's chin, and he fell harmlessly to the ground, unconscious. The distraction gave Julian just enough time to run soundlessly behind the vast man as he stood victorious over Dorian and pull his blade to the man's throat. Maven, listen to me. We aren't here to fight you or kill you. We need you. Will you talk to us? Julian heard a chuckle emanate from beneath the mask. <laughs> talk? Sure. I guess you've earned yourself a talk. I don't remember the last time I was evenly matched with someone. And this is the first time you've pulled a weapon. Julian slowly backed away from the man who whirled to face him. The man cocked his head slightly to the right and Julian withdrew his blade back into his sleeve. Impressive, the man said, gesturing to the blade. Just one thing though. Julian looked at him inquiringly. What's that? The man straightened his head and looked right at Julian. I don't know who this Maven person is that you keep calling me. Thank you so much for joining me for part one of chapter 20. Next week, we will track both the rescue team and the recruitment team as they attempt to rescue Clyde and Max and recruit Trevor Maven to the resistance. So until we meet again, make your story a good story. Maybe, someday, I'll be telling your story. Be safe out there, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>